welcome. We are back and rolling with a monumental episode 35. Welcome to the Mythic Morons podcast. Uh, we are your host with the most, Sid Grover here. And I'm Chaney. There it is. Uh, we're here bringing you some some good old discussions and realized we were having a pretty good discussion before we hit the record button. So yeah, Something about <laughs> cold wars and Indian gods and all that good goodness. It's like it's like the pre-conversations of the podcast would make better podcast episodes sometimes, but this is this is the energy we're going into this episode with. Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about like Shiva, and you were we were briefly talking about like World War Two. Um, you had mentioned Oppenheimer, the guy that you know came up with the uh, the atomic bomb, who yeah invented create, it. Yeah, helped create the first atomic bomb, and he had that quote about. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds, which I realized was from an Indian god. And you said. Yeah, the god's name is Shiva, the man. And he is the god of destruction in like Indian mythology and probably one of like the the f- coolest and fiercest and scariest gods like I probably grew up learning about in the in the pantheon of Indian gods. Um, yeah, Indian gods are like they're kind of like greek gods if i'd compare them to you know like other cultures because there's so many of them and they're all like kind of superhero that's their thing you know so yeah what i was like kind of talking about before we recorded was like my whole introduction to and like interest in storytelling and you know all that really started from indian mythology like was rooted in the stories that my grandparents would tell me my mom and dad would tell me um, and like verbally or through books, things like the Mahabharata. Like, have you ever heard of the Mahabharata? Chain? I no, I haven't. That. No. Okay, you should definitely like because you're a big mythology and stories guy. Like, definitely. Uh, and anybody else who is into, uh, you know, just world cultures and different mythologies, look into the Mahabharata. It's one of the, like, <clears throat> it's one of the epics of like all time. Really, that is like a story of good versus evil clashing over over the span of over generations really and like it's 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 one of the more complex stories because it's multiple stories interweaving together so i remember as a kid i was introduced them through comic books and my parents gave me like comic books of different characters within the mahabharata and their stories and like what are what are people in india doing at this time and you know they would it would always mention like people praying to gods gods coming up and stuff and you had said even like is he the god with like six arms (laughs) and that's obviously like a common um like understanding that indian gods have but like my interpretation was always like they're they're just blue men like that look like other men but they're they're blue skin you know that's basically it and the blue skin is supposed to represent their godliness so that tripped me out i was just like if that's the different differentiating line between god and men like that's a pretty thin thin line you know and then sure they also have like complete and out of this world powers to go along with yeah. their blue radiant skin oh yeah oh yeah that's that's when you get into like the d like the mahabharata and like what that's about and there's gods like krishna and mentions to vishnu and shiva and like uh they're they're crazy gods like they are basically like heroes like superheroes that can manifest weapons out of thin air and like i don't even know it's just crazy crazy storytelling that's it's 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 fascinating me i want to like relearn it kind of like actually get to know the stories more and read the book so that's something that i want to do but 
it's so uh it's so intimidating to me to to read those kind of literatures it's like it's like reading the bible like i don't know if you've ever read like religious texts or anything like that but it, it feels like feels like an undertaking kind of like that it does feel like that but i found a good kind of workaround um mm-hmm. well i tend to like listen to stuff listen to podcasts or music before bed yeah um, like i need some sort of audio cue or audio background noise to help me i'm the same way sleep yeah mm-hmm. so what i do is i usually just scroll to youtube and there's like um mythology bedtime stories based on is that a, is what, that a channel Should I it's not one? a channel but like there's plenty of oh, channels that okay. do it so I'd like fall asleep to Norse mythologies, like learning about Loki and Thor and yeah and Balder and all those guys. So um, that's a nice little workaround I, I found. It's just kind of relaxing hearing about the, like this story and like and it's it's childish, but like you're picturing it in your head. And, but I still find like the myths and um, to be some of the most interesting storytelling mm-hmm. things imaginable because it's like it's the bare bones of storytelling. It's right. like the it's just all out there for you to see it's, yeah and it's where like all pretty, stories are based off yeah it's pretty well laid out of like what it's trying to tell you and 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 what the main takeaway message is and um yeah that's just why i like myths so much it's just yeah cool bare bones stuff and it, it's fun to sort of attach that to more complicated stories nowadays right kind of like stories that aren't written by people that live in our world but these are you know like norse mythology or or anything i'm I'm gonna do that more often like just typing I've, I've definitely like you know gone through youtube and searching into like different lores and cultures and stuff like that but uh like yeah norse mythologies that's super interesting to me too uh like even um like i was big into greek mythology when i was in elementary school going to high school there was these series of books called the uh percy jackson books or yeah, like Percy Jackson, um, C, uh, son of Neptune, son of Poseidon. Sorry, um, he was like a demigod, and and that was kind of my introduction really into like that was my Harry Potter as as fondly as I can remember it. Um, where I was like, fuck, like th- these kind of stories about gods and and mortals, like this is this is all like it, it's so real. And then you you kind of like link it back to the history of where these stories, these modern stories are pulling from, and there's a deep history. Like there's this like glossary and index full of like you know places and people that these writers are pulling from and like so it's always good to just like you know link um or find the links of history and old history to the modern days because there's always like those the weavings of those you know like there's always ancient history being told through modern stories so yeah look out for that and chain yeah you should uh you should definitely look into those like ancient indian kind of mythologies on those youtube watches of yours and uh yeah let me know what you think those would be those would be some cool chats it'd be interesting to see because i've already found parallels between totally opposite myths with regards to like norse mythology and then roman mythology i believe with achilles is achilles roman or greek i believe he is greek but i don't quote yeah, me on he's that greek. he's greek never mind i just i always get the romans and the greeks messed up because the romans literally just copied the greeks homework yeah, they're pretty much the same but they're just rewritten names yeah, they're apparently exactly. like the, the romans are just the roman um mythology is just like a reinterpretation of the greek mythology like uh zeus is jupiter uh like same god of lightning or whatever but just different names so yeah it, but that yeah. makes it all the more interesting i find too like it's kind of like the you know with like christianity and judaism and islam like these kind of similar figures or similar 
stories that are told through different people and time with different interpretations, yeah. you know. But I find it really weird that where you could have a Greek mythology story and a Norse mythology story, two complete cultures that never really interacted whatsoever, but they sort of have a, the same figure in Achilles and Balder. Um, like two completely immortal beings except for one weakness which kind of just you know eventually stems out to hey eventually we have superman but um i just find it so cool and i'm wondering if i start to dive down that indian myth road what sort of parallels i'll find to other myths around that'd be really interesting that'd be yeah i'm sure you would uh you'd get into some good like finds there you know, from from my understanding of history is that like or just re- myths and religions is like uh, these are just stories that are the same stories kind of repeated over time. Like Jesus is seen as the god Krishna in Indian mythology, like not not like to the dot and T, but, um, you know, that interpretation, those kind of archetypical character traits are seen all throughout different cultures so look into it and i'm, I'm curious to see your takeaways from those because i, I for me it, it's such it, those kind of stories feel very comic booky it sometimes doesn't feel reminiscent of a religion or mythology you think this is like no way this happened in the world um but they're like they stand by like the mahabharat is not myth or religion like this is the history of india essentially so uh check it out yeah and uh moving on in the episode cheney what are you? What have you been uh, up to this week? What have you been watching? Um, believe it or not, I've been watching Godzilla, of all things. Ooh, yeah. which which Godzilla? What year? Um, are we talking? Well, what first, country? What? Well, Japan, the first nice. one. Nice, um, nice. I watched Godzilla two thousand, which came out in nineteen ninety nine. Nice. Um, With good old um Matthew Bronze. What's his name? Fucking Ferris Bueller. No. Yeah, let's just call him no, Ferris no, no, Bueller. No. Yeah, man, Godzilla no, no, no. two thousand. No, 99. no, no, no. That's the American Godzilla that came out in 99. There's I'm another ta- Godzilla that came out in 1999? I'm talking about the one that was made by Toho in Japan. Oh, shit. That's news to me. I yeah. thought there was just... there. I thought there was the original... I think it came out in 99. Godzilla 2000. Hold on here. Godzilla... Yeah, Godzilla 2000 came out in 1999, and I believe actually cool. the American Godzilla came out in 98, so... Mm. The first American Godzilla came out in 1998. You're right. Yep. You are right. So I watched Godzilla 2000, which is a really trippy movie. Um, like, Let's just get this out of the way. Godzilla movies are pretty bad, especially like in the 90s and, yeah. and, and the early 2000s. But like as far as the Japanese ones go, they're just so fun to watch because it's just it's just dumb fun. I just have so much fun watching them. Um, yeah. The the sheer ridiculousness of what I am witnessing uh, just trumps any sort of, like, I don't know, natural criticisms that would come to my mind whenever I'm watching a movie. That all just flees my head when I'm watching a Godzilla movie. I don't know why. I just love Godzilla shit so much. Um, possibly due to there was a, a video game that I'd commonly rent... Um, called Godzilla Save the Earth which is basically just like a arena fighting game where you'd have Godzilla and then other Jap- Japanese kaijus to duke it out um, 
So once I got into that, I got really into like Godzilla in general. And I, I have watched older movies before. This is the first time I've dipped my toes in Godzilla shit since, well, well older Godzilla shit. I went and watched um, King of Monsters in, in theaters and the 2014 one in theaters as well. Um, but this is my first time like getting really back into some of the older stuff. And yeah, it's, the history it's, of the film, like the film franchise. Yeah, and it, it, it's uh, it's interesting. Godzilla goes through so many different eras where, like, yeah, obviously the first interpretation is um, uh, insightful commentary on the mistakes humans made, probably meddling with nuclear power. Um, mm-hmm. And as time went on, Godzilla kind of became like a mascot like a superhero and like a kid's show figure where there's yeah like a, mascot's a good way of putting it too yeah, yeah. um and eventually they kind of rounded him back out to um back to his more like his movies being a more commentary on human nature mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. always have some type of monster for him to fight at the end mm-hmm. so um this one was hilarious I found it so funny, the type of message they tried to portray. Um, So, as you know, this movie came out in 1999. What was the big apocalyptic thing people had on the horizon? What was the Mm. big popular thing that people kept thinking was going to end the world? Why two back in ninety nine? Yeah, no, I was that's I was gonna say not not twenty twelve. That was the level ahead, but yeah, Y two K. Yeah, Y two K. People were so afraid of Y two K, and there's like a Y two K message in this Godzilla movie, where, um, okay, let me try to give you like a short. I don't give a fuck about spoiling this movie. It came out in ninety nine. It's not even like that great of a movie. It's just fun to watch, just fun to witness. So just do it. Yeah. Um, Who cares about spoilers? Yeah. So Godzilla's main adversary throughout the majority of the movie is a spaceship. <laughs> um, there's a rock they find underwater, but then the rock floats. And then eventually, like, the rock cracks open and there's a spaceship inside. And, yeah, Godzilla gets beat up by the spaceship and then the rest so of the So he's not fighting a hit. kaiju in the movie? He's not fighting well, any kaijus? not yet. Oh. So the spaceship basically docks in like tokyo and then i don't know how but it just hacks every computer and like as it's hacking every computer and the scientists are realizing this they're like they're just like oh my god what have humans done meddling with computers and electricity this is not the way to live and godzilla is angry at us for it because Godzilla was like for some reason destroying power plants in the beginning of the movie because he doesn't like electricity because electricity mm-hmm. is made by humans and it's bad. So the commentary went from the horrors of nuclear weaponry and the absolute um, damage and scarring it impaired on the Japanese people to computers are bad and Y2K is coming. And yeah, be scared. <laughs> yeah, we shouldn't be using computers. We should just go back to the way we used to do things. Yeah, I could tell like whoever pitched that idea thought that was like a really good idea at the time. Yeah, no, for sure. It was um it was it was played off as like super serious in the movie too. It's so funny. Wow. But like I term- I can imagine that working if they were sticking with a campy Godzilla movie, but no, like they it I'm reading it it seems like they were committed to the sci-fi thing and it seems oh, yeah. like the 90s were filled with that 
those kind of tropes and and lending to bad films being produced. So this seems awfully nineties to me. No, it's 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 so horribly nineties. I think the special effects here, like I know it's like from nineteen ninety nine and it's from a Japanese studio, but mm-hmm. like some of the effects literally just look like um, enlarging and shrinking a JPEG image. Oh, I love over, that. Yeah, it, it's great. It's great. It's a good laugh. Um, but in terms of kaiju, and they actually introduced a really cool kaiju in this movie. Um, the way the spaceship worked is that like the spaceship was actually a living being. It just had evolved beyond the use of a biological body. Um, okay, so they put some thought into this movie. It was yeah, just there was kind of dumb thought. ideas. <laughs> so <laughs> dumb execution. The spaceship is a living being that has um, sort of gone beyond its biological form. It has no longer has a need oh, for that. Oh, God. I'm watching um, the trailer. That spaceship looks fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. It's so bad. But um, as the scientists discover, Godzilla's immaculate healing ability was due to um, some type of cell that's just like a Wolverine cell, I guess. It just, he has rapid healing and, yeah. and generation. Kind of like super stem cells. Um, and they call it Organizer G1. That's what they call the type of cell, Organizer G1. And That's such event- a Japanese classification of them. Yeah, they go Organizer G01. G1. Yeah. yeah. And, it's, um, and what that does is that allows them to eventually explain how the spaceship, once Godzilla sort of destroys it, takes some of Godzilla's DNA... And it, and it, because the cells can rapidly create life or something, it creates its own biological form again and turns into Orga. And Orga is actually a pretty cool kaiju. I remember in the fighting games, he was one of my favorites to use. Um, basically, it's like he's like an imperfect Godzilla because it, it, it uses his cells, but like it can't really form a perfect Godzilla so he's like this weird gross um, pseudo Godzilla but as he fights he can like drain more of Godzilla's cells and slowly starts to turn into another Godzilla which is actually that's that's an interesting character honestly Uh, that's like if they wanted to bring that into the modern movies that could work Oh, it totally kind of like Godzilla's ugly cousin that wants to come back into the frame. Like, in fact, I remember when film. I when I watched in 2014, I was thought like they, there's like a perfect in terms of like the tone they were going for, mm-hmm. like, a, like a more realistic, I guess, like not still campy. And right, like but, the 2014 one was more in line with the Japanese movies than the 98 Godzilla ever would be. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, with Orga, it's like you could totally have like humans trying to clone godzilla and then end up making orga and then yeah there's like the, the story writes itself i mean that's kind of like a mecha godzilla type of a thing where isn't, isn't that what mecha godzilla is humans create a godzilla yeah they create voila a mechanical godzilla right, right. which is being uh, rumored you... to be in one of the newer movies i don't know how they're well, gonna do that yeah it's i mean the thing that surprised me the most about godzilla is that they're still making godzilla movies like it must be probably this oldest like uh like franchise name to still exist uh even the movie you're talking about godzilla 2000 is the 23rd movie in the franchise of godzilla in 1999 in 1999 yeah uh the first one came out i believe like 51 
dude there uh, is in japan such a well of godzilla movies you have no idea and, and like it's its own yeah. genre it's its own it, fucking yeah. genre dude good point yeah um, the kaiju it birthed the the kaiju films it's it's really at the it's one of those pillars of things that you know me and you kind of fall under like a fandoms and shit where like the, the power rangers are born out of that completely dude, you know before crossovers like before giant movie crossovers with like marvel and shit like that Dude, there was Godzilla and Mothra crossovers yeah. because yep. they were separate yep. entities. And there and you go, cre- Godzilla yeah. cinematic universe. That was the shit. Yeah, it was, and now they're kind of bringing it back, and it's like only, one yeah. of the only ones I actually enjoy because they're yeah. kind of doing it right. I mean, we've had, I didn't, uh, we've had 2014 Godzilla, Skull Island, Godzilla King of Monsters, which was horrible, but I fucking loved it because it had awesome kaiju battles. It had um, awesome kaiju battles. But it was a stupid fucking movie. The, oh yeah, twenty fourteen was a, actually a really good movie. Yeah, uh, and like a good way to bring Godzilla back into the the mainstream. Like, yeah, you're right. Better than the ninety eight movie. Um, you know, Anything's don't center it around. Movie. Yeah, like the the and, and you know it's Roland Emmerich made that one. The guy that made a fucking Independence Day, both the Independence Day movies. So it was like that was the trend of the nineties. Like now we're taking those kind of movies back to the roots of it so i hope i hope um i hope that like the next one is something new something cool but i kind of don't think so i think they're going into like just the monster monster fighting thing you know here's what i think is going to happen in the next one and i kind of read rumors on this but there there was an end credit scene of king of monsters and it was horror like again king of monsters was so dumb and so campy but as like a godzilla fan and this is sort of echoed throughout the entire community um it's like we don't care like are, are big dumb monsters fighting yeah then that's what we want yeah. that's literally what we paid money to see big dumb monsters fighting oh, a three-headed golden dragon from space is fighting a prehistoric nuclear lizard let's just keep watching that please um yeah so i think they're gonna go even dumber because the end credit scene showed that there's a king Ghidorah head still alive which can only mean one thing, which is my favorite kaiju, my my favorite Godzilla villain, Mecha King Ghidorah. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're gonna go on Mecha. They're gonna go that route. Oh yeah, they're I definitely doing. It. They have to do Mecha King Ghidorah now. Um, and if they're doing Mecha King Ghidorah, that means they could probably do Mecha Godzilla too. And there's yeah. a rumor that in um, Godzilla versus King Kong, there actually won't be a winner. It's going to be like a Batman versus Superman situation where Godzilla and King Kong <laughs> team up to yeah. take on Mecha Godzilla and Mecha King Ghidorah. Oh, I thought you were going to say they fight Doomsday. No, no. Give me a 2v2 tag battle, baby. Yeah. No, that would be huge. Like SmackDown versus Raw shit. Let's yeah, go. exactly. So, like, again, I don't give a fuck, like, how bad the plot is going to be, how annoying the human characters are going to be. If I'm going to see big dumb monsters fight, then I'm paying whatever money I need to to get in there. Yeah. Pure entertainment value. It's, mm-hmm. it's selling tickets on that. And then I also did watch the 2014 Godzilla as well. Um, yeah. And it's, it's actually surprising how similar the 2014 Godzilla movie is to, like, the traditional structure of how the Japanese movies were yeah um completely i think i remember writing like a paper on that very theme like on that topic i mean i was uh like religiously watching the japanese films of the 50s and the 60s and i wanted to compare it to 2014 and i found same thing that you just pointed out a lot of structural similarities and thematic similarities um but yeah you go on go on with your thought you finish that 
No, I think you kind of carried it there. There's a lot of like, there's obviously the 2014 movie was made with a lot more love and care for what Godzilla is. It's sort of like it had the a good amalgamation. It too. Yeah, it did. Um, oh man, some of the shots in that movie are just breathtaking. Like the skydiving really? oh, shots. Yeah. Oh um, yeah, that, that's the first one I think that comes in everybody's mind thinking about that. But yeah, um, even just the framings of of Godzilla with people or in the city destroying stuff, like good good attention to scaling. Like there's a the the way that movie is shot is like always a camera is placed on the ground or like in a human level to give you the, the uh, perspective of a human watching a beast tear through San Francisco. Yeah. And um, in the Japanese, the original Japanese one, it's so, it's somewhat similar. It you know, and they build um they build scale model sets to have uh like Godzilla take down completely. Like you know, you know the old Power Rangers like Megazord action scenes. Like it's reminiscent yeah. of that, but. Yeah. In Godzilla, like the one where the tsunami comes in and destroys the uh, coastal town, like I still am floored by those that scene, uh, by execution and just like the effect that has when I'm watching it. So it, that classic will never, the, the, like no bad movie will rub dirt on the name of Godzilla. Never. No, Godzilla has some type of place in cinematic history as as really like mm-hmm. the most artistic interpretation of the greatest tragedy in japanese history yeah in, in such really a good like way a, of putting it yeah in such a unique way like uh, how do you how do you do that with like a kaiju like how do you yeah. birth like this entire fun genre for some for such a from such a, a like, traumatic tra- event yeah exactly um yeah but that was their kind of in a way flag of hope or like symbol i guess the hero they needed in a way um, like like you said, it, it went from something Japanese people genuinely feared to something that they celebrate. You know, uh, it's like a piece of identity, I would imagine, in in their in their cultural zeitgeist. Are you familiar with Shin Godzilla? I think I've heard of it. it sounds familiar, but I, I I'm not too familiar. Uh, yeah, I forget what year it came out in. Um, Shin 2016. Okay, Shin Godzilla is um, a 2016 Godzilla film in Japan, and mm. it sort of takes everything back to its roots but in an even more fucked up way um it, instead of sort of godzilla being this physical um, interpretation of the nuclear uh, bomb you're also also familiar with like the tsunami that hit japan in what year is that 2012 of course yeah uh, 2012 2014 13 2013 think, yeah something so, like that yeah um and like the nuclear reactor got flooded and that huge tragedy shin godzilla more takes um that route and sort of uses godzilla in that manner and it really is like a horror movie again it's not some fun actiony godzilla movie where he fights another big monster it's like a general natural disaster horror movie and like mm. his, where he, yeah he's like he's a, a, a not portrayed as like a good guy or a good character no, in a sense he's, he's um he's he's something it, it's it's the most unique take on godzilla i think there is um hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll look into that that sounds interesting hideki anno i believe is how you say the director's name he com- yeah. took it in a completely new direction um mm. like i have no idea how to explain it really um i really do think we should maybe actually check it out together i'd be i'd be really down is this in japanese you said Japanese, right? Yeah, it's in Japanese. Yeah, I don't know where I am sold. Watch it. Oh, I'll, we'll find. We'll find. 
a secure legal manner of watching yes of course watching said movies um actually just to point you in the direction of a godzilla uh, like a niche godzilla there's an anime godzilla on netflix oh yeah i don't know I've if you ever saw that, that. planet of that. monsters yeah uh it's, i think it's also japanese but they have a dub version I, I remember i watched a little bit of the first season when it came out and on a, i didn't go through it or anything i didn't get too deep but on a conceptual level i think it's pretty interesting where it's uh set in like i think yeah thousands of years after godzilla kind of takes over the planet and kaijus in general take over the planet so essentially you can imagine the godzilla movie happened humans lost and had to leave uh so it's like it's fully sci-fi like takes all those kind of things to account and it's humans coming back into earth to reclaim their planet so they're they're fighting godzilla and these kaijus with like their own mechas their own kind of power ranger transformer type of machines and uh kind of cool kind of cool anime but Actually, just on the last note of Godzilla, did you ever watch the Pacific Rim movies? Did you get into that? I've only watched the first one. I didn't watch the second one. The second one didn't really interest me, and I heard it was bad anyway, so I'm not too broken up about that. Yeah, I'll just say real quick, that, like, almost does Godzilla better than Godzilla. Not, like, the themes of Godzilla, but on a spectacle and fun action level, I love the first Pacific Rim movie. Love it. Like, Guillermo del Toro, uh, like... I really wish he came back for the second movie and like kind of saw through with his ideas of like what this world could be and what it is. Um, Like the first movie had such a, had a realness, like a a real tangibleness, almost like the same effect of like how the camera works in the 2014 Godzilla and how I was saying it's really grounded on, on the ground. Uh, It's, it feels the same way for this and like all the action feels like it has, uh, like a real impact like machines move slow because they're huge they're not gonna run through a city and then they they change that in the second movie they're like oh all of a sudden they're running around like no now they look now this looks like cgi to me you know like the first movie didn't have that cgi-ness to it it was really beautiful like some of the scenes um yeah yeah i yeah i i still remember the first pacific rim uh it was fun I don't think it had quite the impact it has on the way Godzilla does on me. Maybe it's because, like, Godzilla is also, like, sort of a roster of monsters that, like... For sure. It's kind of, like, trading cardy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's, like, um, there's names to each of the monsters, and there's different, yeah. like, eras and versions of Godzilla. Um, and so, Pacific yeah. Rim kind of tries to do that too with giving names like it you can see how it feeds off of the Godzilla tropes like what makes Godzilla good is exactly what you said like right. the, each character has a legacy an action figure kind of quality to them and like you can see how that movie Pacific Rim was trying to do that too right but, and it had still had some impact because I'm not really yeah I think I've only watched Pacific Rim once but I know like Gypsy Danger obviously yeah that's just a great yeah. name to be Catch, honest. catchy name yeah. really great name anyways yeah um that's that's a really good uh really good uh suggestion cheney to watch uh shin godzilla for for a discussion i'd be really into that i think i'd be really into that as well i've been wanting to check that one out for a while um Mm -hmm. and i heard it's a pretty like fucked up interpretation of godzilla i'm into the idea of a, a true horror movie not kind of like not holding bars to like give a good message like no like give us the destruction of what a godzilla would do let's see it yeah um yeah that's pretty cool uh this week i was playing some spider-man miles morales i no, well i was playing it and i finished it actually so i can give you my uh 
my without too many spoilers, I guess I don't want to spoil the story, but general thoughts on the game. Um, I really liked it. I I really really liked it. Uh, the thing I like the most about this like kind of series of Spider-Man games, it's like it's some of the best like Spider-Man storytelling that is out there right now. Um, like it's you know it's it's this is like a golden kind of age for Spider-Man. I think it's making like a cultural comeback in a big way. Like you know, it's not that like Spider-Man's ever been irrelevant, but with Miles Morales, like yeah, I think I should specifically say this is like a a really new Spider-Man kind of centered area. You got the Spider-Verse movie that came out that kind of introduces Miles into the cultural mainstream and this game that kind of explores his explores the mythology, I think, of like of Star or of Spider-Man of um a new Spider-Man and and kind of how they operate within the same world. I don't think there's like a story where Miles Morales, like other than Into the Spider-Verse because it's a Spider-Verse centered movie, but this Spider-Man story is uh, where, you know, the the OG Spider-Man plays a mentor to the newbie, the youngin, and they kind of, they operate in the same field and they're both called Spider-Man. So it, it's like, it's really interesting in that way where it's... Do you, uh, do you ever get to play as Peter in this one or no? No. No, it's a purely Miles Morales spinoff, um, which I'm glad they stuck with that. I think for the for that matter, it makes it its own game. How do they you know, take it, into it, account where like if like there's a giant city level threat that Peter's not there with Miles? They if basically like in the story, thing. yeah, in the story they wrote it off to as he's on vacation because it's set during Christmas or set during the Christmas holidays. So in the beginning of the game, Peter's there and he's he's showing Miles the ropes and you get a couple cool cutscenes and action scenes where you're fighting alongside the OG Spider-Man. And like, that's all really cool stuff. And then right after that, uh, you know, you're not a fully fledged Miles Morales. You're not a fully fledged Spider-Man at all. Um, you know, Peter Parker just kind of ditches you or not ditches you in a mean way, but like he kind of says like, yeah, I'm going on vacation and you're going to be the only Spider-Man in the city now. And this is all up to you. So from that point on, it becomes a, a solo story where you're the protagonist is now Miles. And um, yeah, like I was saying, the story is kind of what shines the most through here, which I was not expecting because I thought the first Spider-Man game, PS4, was like outstanding, uh, had such an emotional ending, like truly, truly can that that first game could compete with like like some Hollywood movies on, on the level of emotional impact from, um, from its storytelling, from its cinematics and that kind of thing. Like video games, I've been saying it have, are, are just closing in on, on, on movies on, on their, you know, on that level of engagement with, with story, I think. And this, this game is carried that forward. Surprisingly, it, by the end of it, I had a, a very genuine, like, emotional kind of connection because it's it's a game that kind of doesn't pull its punches it has really you know well kind of constructed constructed moments that uh i guess cause i'm not trying to spoil it but i want to talk about how how video game how this kind of video game and other video games i've noticed are using like a cinematic language to to engage with you further so 
I noticed this first in Ghost of Tsushima and noticed it again here, but there's a moment where through the story in Ghost of Tsushima, you're playing as the protagonist Jin and you get a flashback to when he's a kid and he's training with his father and he's about to kill his first kill. He's about to have his first kill as a young child. And he goes through with it and he's learning about honor and the right way of doing of killing somebody by his father. And that flashback cuts in parallel to present time where he's about to do a his first dishonorable kill. So when that realization hits you, you know, after the flashback, you the weight of your actions are more felt. That's when I first noticed like how powerful the use of like a flashback is in the video game because you're not just watching something, but you're further engaging with it and the choices, the actions stay with you further. Um, and this game continued that forward completely, like not just through use of flashback, but, you know, um, use of just like character interactions and relationships and um, kind of it, it really made me feel made me feel invested into the character and, and what he was going through. Um, it, it, it made me think like the mythology of Spider-Man really is, it really has its legs at this point, you know, like it's a strong mythology with a really good story of, of, of becoming of, of, you know, realizing we have gifts or you have a gift and stepping into the world with those gifts. And uh, I know I'm getting kind of like rambly with it, but, it's a really fun game and one of the coolest things about it also I found was like how the story was so weaved into the gameplay. Um, it was so the first Spider-Man game was like super flawless animations, super slick gameplay, um, kind of like, you know, it's traditional button mashy action, but the combos in that first game felt fluid. You felt like you were creating uh really efficient and unique takedowns with your movesets it didn't feel like just repetitive button mashing because you had multiple gears to choose from um and so it made it made you a really agile spider-man so comparatively to like to this game they they really made this game a different game to that first one where it's it's more stealth focused i found you're you there's like much more of a role of uh kind of sneaking around places and undercover takedown sort of things and that kind of plays to the strength of the character because you know he his spider-man is has like actual superpowers other than just being a you know spider-man like he can turn invisible and has like this electrical almost like electrical kind of powers where he shocks people and shit um is that all technology based powers no it's like it's bio they called it like bio electricity and like so it's all bio organic powers what which i didn't know that about miles is that like consistent or is that just for this game mm-hmm. no yeah that's consistent that's from the comics and even the spider-verse movie was showing how uh he he turns invisible it's like a defense mechanism thing oh so yeah so he's like a really different spider-man and and they lean on that in this game so the first game where you're peter parker tech savvy and you know it by in that game he's a 26 year old peter parker so it's not a young spider-man he's an og or he's a it's kind of a veteran in New York at this point, so he's developed a whole arsenal of gadgets to assist him and take down. So it's much more of a you almost feel like you're Iron Man kind of like with this amount of gadgetry level. Like it doesn't feel like a, a teenager made this sort of shit. So it would that would have felt not natural in the Miles Morales kind of gameplay. So they just made it really simple, no gadgets, and you can turn invisible and you can use your electrical power. So 
that kind of gameplay made it almost feel like at times more fun. Like it took the Spider-Man element and threw in like Infamous. It threw in some Metal Gear Solid with like the stealth kind of uh, gameplay. So it made it really engaging on on a lot of levels. Um, One thing I was worried about, or like I wasn't even going to play because I'm not really a PlayStation user, but I was curious about like how did they change around the city? is it is there more to explore now or oh yeah good that's a that's a good thing you brought up i i wanted to get into how like new york is different in this so i believe like it's basically the same map from the first game um they didn't add any new districts or any new areas in the map it's the same new york size and uh, landscape or land yeah landscapes and stuff um but what is different is that it's set in the winter so you have snow constantly um, that leads to like some really beautiful images. Um, you know me, like I'm big into the photo mode in games. So, um, I might even start sharing my, the photos I take in video games. I think they're actually decent. Like I spend a lot of time with the composition and like lighting and the photo engines, like, cause they're really, really in depth. Like the developers make a really in depth photo engine in this game. You have, you can control lighting elements. Like it has a, basically a full scene builder where you're, you can use multiple lights to relight your scene however you want. You can place the camera wherever you want. Like, it's insane. It is truly, truly awesome. Um, so, yeah, like, you, you're, yeah, what was I saying? Uh, New York is the same but different only in that um, it's always winter. And also, this, like, Miles is set in Harlem. So, Harlem has, as a borough or as a district in New York, has more of a focus and is like kind of your home and it's cool because in the original spider-man game there was no uh specific place in this giant manhattan that was like peter's own territory whereas in this game like harlem is very specifically miles's territory uh, like you're constantly swinging through there and interacting with the people um it feels really like true to life like what i've heard and what i imagine new york is kind of like like really kind of like friendly people when you're in those neighborhoods um, like if you're a part of the neighborhood, like everybody kind of knows each other. They're always, you know, outside and always active outside. Things are always going on. So it seems like a really like it's a lively New York. It's amazing how far video games have come. I think where a giant open world like New York City can be like completely realized in like 4K 60 FPS with, you know, NPCs flittering this or littering the city like the, that, that. It's just mad impressive to look at visually. Um Another thing that I found like was really cool is the character animations of Miles compared to Peter Parker. Like even that tells a story. Like even the developers went into that level of kind of like how do we tell a story here? Yeah, I noticed uh, that. I was watching some yeah. gameplay and it seems like Miles is like more clumsy than Peter was mm-hmm. and like things are a little more sporadic. It's it's a completely different like yeah, characterization just through the animations of the character. Itself. Exactly. Like the and and it's it's more fun to watch that like I, I never paid attention to that in the first game I think like it was also seamless and you're like yeah this is an expert Spider-Man going through New York and then you know you really notice in the in this game because he's like anytime he hop every time he uh, zips to a ledge he's stumbling or when he's flying through the air he's he looks like he's unconfident in his web swing or that he's gonna you know not like he's just flopping around in the air so it's it's like more relatable because I'm like this is probably what it would be like and it's just it's just cool it's like yeah like this is fun to watch it's fun to like interpret like this is obviously what a young uh, a new spider-man be like 
And the last thing I'll say about it is he has the best Spider-Man suit of all the Spider-Man suits. Like the sexiest black and white Spider-Man suit. I don't know. Ooh. Like you're saying best out of anything or best out of characters? I It's my favorite Spider-Man suit of oh, all the times. Black really? and red. And I'll tell you why. Because when I was a young lad and I'd fantasize, you know, as like a little kid living in Toronto downtown, I would see the buildings, I'd see the skyscrapers, obviously not as big as downtown or in New York. But I would imagine like, yeah, if I'm a Spider-Man, then my suit would be black and red. My webs would be black and red. Like I was into the black and red kind of, kind of phase back then still kind of am but that like Ultimate that early 2000s edge lord said yeah exactly exactly lincoln park playing through my headphones you know oh, what yeah. it is oh god yeah yeah oh god and yeah so miles really embodies that those ideals of a spider-man that i had as a kid i think that's what his character kind of stands for um and it's interesting how you know i sense a really kind of a parallel to just my own growing up i guess like you know the the og um toby mcguire spider-man movies like how important are those in our in our youth like those are really big movies those are up there um the og spider-man trilogy and and so like that's why i keep saying this is this mythology is just an ever-growing thing and from that point to now um you know i'm drawing that line like this is this spider-man story is about uh is about an older Spider-Man, an older Peter Parker, which kind of reflects, you know, where I'm in my life. I'm in my 20s. I'm much older than I was in the early 2000s. So my ideals have changed. My views on the world have changed. So seeing that reflected on an older Peter Parker and having to pass down his own kind of legacy to a, a, a new Spider-Man and seeing that mythology replayed is, is like really cool. Um, they, they do a really like, they do really different things with the Miles mythology. That's, you know, it's, like as George Lucas says, it's it rhymes with uh, you know, different stories or kind of has those patterns. Yeah, there's patterns, it rhymes. It's it's all poetic. Yeah. And uh yeah. So More like of those Peter has from the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We could we could go over that documentary. I may too. have gone too far in a few places. <laughs> Just cut it there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. No, that was the best line too. And uh but Back to you know how like my yeah, that, thank you for realigning my train of thought there. Uh, you know how Peter Parker has, obviously, Uncle Ben as his catalyst, as his, um, you know, main inspiration. With great responsibility comes... With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Classic line of all time. Um, so, Miles has an uncle too, but rather than an uncle, you know, a great man that died and passed off a great message to Peter, his uncle is, like, not really a spoiler because I think it's known, but he's the villain Prowler. So, and Miles kind of deals with this in the game, and it's kind of part of his own his own stories. Like the Spider Verse dealt with that too. Um, and his Uncle Ben moment is through his father, where his father dies in in the line of duty of being a cop. So you know he goes through the same he goes through similar things as Peter, but they do reimaginings also where he he has a young mother like he he's not living with his old aunt like he has a young family he's more young and hip than kind of peter was um and he has an uncle that's kind of the main villain or, or not the main villain but he's a he's a villain he's a he's not a great dude um so how does he deal with that like there's all these kind of different situations that he's put in but that is consistent with the mythology i think of spider-man so um yeah the last words about that i'll just say is like i think playstation is like 
on top of their games for storytelling video games like if not they're the best kind of developer producer whatever of really great cinematic video games from uh, god of war death stranding uh oh god death stranding um spider-man spider-man miles morales uh what was the game the i haven't played it but the story looks so good uh fuck cheney what am i saying For, I something no frozen idea. something you what? know you know it's the it's a girl she has a bow and arrow god my memory's so bad oh horizon zero dawn horizon zero dawn yes gosh what a brain fart on live that was a on live thing, uh, yeah, podcasting we tend to have yeah. those yeah that, we, we almost all the time and next time that happens we'll put a little disclaimer in the middle like you're experiencing technical difficulties so it's not me that's having a mess up it's your phone actually so yeah but playstation games on fucking point i'll leave it at that i'm hoping xbox will catch up um yeah they, i'm hoping too man we've already talked about others. how they're like taking the right steps in into doing so like they yeah. have studios working on stuff. They bought Bethesda for fuck's sake. So there's going to be some decent content coming out of that. Like if Elder Scrolls is exclusive to Xbox, that's going to be crazy. Even um, Doom. Think about it. Doom they got now. They've got all of Bethesda's IPs. Fallout, um, Doom. Yeah, Fallout. I don't know if Starfield might be an Xbox exclusive now. Yeah, it might crazy. be. Um, that's the thing. Xbox can really make a comeback, I feel. But I don't think like necessarily they're gonna compete on that same, the the same kind of level where Sony's games are, where it's like purely like the cinematic games, and you know I think Xbox should go for the arcadey, the fun games to play, where it's like Doom, you know, that's not really integral of story, but or, or story's not as integral. It's just you go in and play the game and have fun. Um, you know, obviously mix it up every now and then, but yeah, I think I don't know if you're if you're playing Xbox now, like what are you doing? That's my question. Why well, don't I you have a PC? <laughs> That's just my next question. Plus, Halo fans like me it's just, just, yeah, just can't give up the glory days. Okay. I know, I know, Cheney. Yeah. It's okay. Gears they, of they'll War come back soon. and fucking Halo and Fable and oh, all of that good shit. You know. Yeah, but they had their time in the sun. They definitely did. I think what they're doing is they're diversifying the market, though. They're they're with the Game Pass. That's going to be sure, yeah. way, way different than than what PlayStation is doing. But now PlayStation's saying they want to compete with that uh, Game Pass kind of concept. Right, but now they they're might... catching up in some aspect. So yeah. Um, yeah, Xbox has been doing nothing but loading up the Game Pass with exclusives and, and hundreds of games to play every month for like 10 bucks, which is insane when you think about it. It's a good deal. It's a, but I recently found out they kind of bamboozled me big time. What? So they they market you saying it's a six dollar a month thing, right? Game Pass, five dollars yeah. a month, six dollars a month, something like that. I check my monthly billing now, sixteen dollars a month. Oh, which I still think it's worth it. Like if you're big into gaming, but you know, like I really only played like one or two games off there, and now it seems less of a. Uh, less of a surefire thing for me to pay monthly like $15 like I'm already paying for like a bunch of movie streaming services oh, yeah, yeah. and if I'm you know if I'm only playing one or two games they're really worth it so I hope that's not going to lose a lot of people but it's I still think it's it's a good deal like if you're if you're into gaming and like discovering new games like you know as I do with movies or Cheney does with movies too 
it's uh, Game Pass is probably like uh, a surefire hit. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't got Game Fire yet or Game Pass yet. Honestly. I've just been fucking bogged down with school, man. I heard true. Have time to that watch is true. Movies. Fair. Yeah. It's uh, it's getting stressful. I'm that's fair. Inches away from a mental breakdown every half hour, so that's really nice. But um, all for the glory, and I will shall obtain the glory and be a scientist of yeah, the waters of the water variety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I forgot what um what news I heard about water recently, but my first instinct was I gotta tell Cheney about this. <laughs> oh. I, I'm now forgetting what it was, but I, I actually wanted to to get you to get, get some facts off you about it. But when I remember, I'll, I'll bring it up. Hopefully, it happens live, so I have a spontaneous outburst. Yes. But uh, yeah, want to move into our main discussion, or is there anything else? Yeah. I feel like I feel like there needs to be a soundboard made available that has all of Baby Yoda's sound phrases was that what you were trying to do because yeah that was uh brutal that was that was pretty on point come on it was all right (laughs) oh man what an episode what an episode what were your what were your thoughts on it cheney you like it uh okay as far as entertainment value goes um congrats on carl weathers for his directorial debut for uh for this series um my man nailed it yeah, I think uh, in terms for a of directorial debut, oh, for for action scenes especially, um, mm-hmm. the action scenes in this episode kind of hit different. Um, I don't know why they just did. The, this was probably the like what's the most crazy action, but it was probably my favorite action sequence. Or really, action, over the action. last episode, over over Mandalorians with an S. Yeah, yeah, even even that. Um, I don't know why it, it just felt more Star Warsy to me. But mm. was it the fact they were an Imperial base and there were stormtroopers throughout the entire episode? Well, no, because they were an Imperial ship before. Um, this True. felt like yeah. like in terms of like shot composition and like mm-hmm. the variety of action. Because like yeah, in the last episode there was good action, but it was kind of just like hallway firefights. Whereas this, you had yeah. a good variety of action. You had this still was that though, and and that might be one of my flaws about it was like it was a lot of hallway walking, a lot of guns pointed in the hallway. Um, True, I think that was one of my negatives to it. Is it's when they got and obviously to our listeners, spoilers for the Mandalorian episode four. Um, that goes without saying, I hope. But I think one of my issues was the kind of middle part took a halt in the conflict department once they got into the base and they're just walking around i almost forgot like what are they what are we doing here now you know it but that slowly redeemed itself i think like that was to build to a greater mystery or something but i think yeah what i'm interested to hear what you liked about the action then um well because it was slow paced i feel you know like it wasn't as action packed maybe i don't know um, what I was well, I, I like the variety. It wasn't just hallway shooting scenes because, yeah, we did get quite mm-hmm. a few of those. But like, then they switched it up, and we got like a speeder chase scene, and then we got oh, like, I a, see what you mean. A cool yeah. uh, Imperial vehicle that would be a really awesome Lego set, um, and then we got like a, a a dog fight through the canyon with the Tie Fighters chasing them, and then eventually Mando coming through with yeah, his own that ship. Tie Fighter team is cool. So. Like, I'm just saying, like, maybe, like, the quality of the action wasn't as strong 
as the last episode, but I no, but good variety of action. There's a good variety, variety of action, that. and I think yeah, Carl Weathers did a very good job in directing it. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of interesting shot choices throughout. Um, I thought with like the gunning, the, like the gunner, like oh, um, the, like the gunner scenes. Um, with the there was one shot in that is I think the most beautiful interior of a um, Tie Fighter. I think that's in any Star Wars. Yeah. I don't know how they did it. I do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, I, I, I was trying to, try to bring happening? that up. I was actually just about yeah, to bring yeah. that up. Oh, dude, I'm I'm glad you you resonated with that shot too. How like there's like a thick atmosphere in the Tie Fighter. Yeah, the way there's like light glow. in it. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. Red glow. The even the camera angle. It's like this is. It's not your usual Tie Fighter right in front of the guys kind of angle. This is like kind of it. It makes the the whole ship and the guy himself kind of feel a little more bigger and kind of look like there's actual space in the place or like looks like he's taking a lot more space up in the in the cockpit and then the lighting of it it's like there's a, there's rays of light beaming through the ship and the dust it, it makes it feel all claustrophobic and that oh it's it's truly beautiful um one thing i don't like though about some of the actions is that can we please like i understand it's it's a fucking meme at this point, but can we please get some competent stormtroopers, please, <laughs> please? Like, and they even like do like a little that'll joke, never happen. A little joke in the episode when the scouters or the scout speedsters or the scout speeders, and like two of them just crash randomly. I'm like, oh, I get it. The Empire's incompetent now. Like, uh-huh. like they're kind of kicking this dead horse on and on, but yet we're supposed to still find them threatening. Maybe just maybe just Mon, um, what's his name? Moff Gideon. Yeah, Moff Gideon. Um, yeah, maybe it's more a threat in numbers than a threat in skill. That's how I've always felt about them. A threat in what? Yeah, numbers threat in versus numbers. Scales. Numbers versus yeah, like when there's a lot of them, that's when you're supposed to be. Um, that's when you're supposed to feel tense, I guess. Even though you know your heroes are gonna make it out almost always. Yeah, uh, true. I want to ask you did you did you catch the um like the cameo of the production agent or whatever that or pr- production assistant associate whatever who who made it into the scene who's in like a regular jeans and a t-shirt no <laughs> yeah it we had one of those kind of non like those kind of universe breaking moments oh you mean like the starbucks cup in the yeah. game of thrones yeah. episode moment oh exactly but it's like half a human body who's wearing like a red shirt jeans oh i did not see just, that no i didn't see it in first viewing either i just saw how like there was a meme and it went viral after. So in my second viewing, it stuck out right away. Like, it's just like, it's a quick, like half a second shot, but right in the corner, you're just like, that's not supposed to be there. No. Okay. I might need to go back and see that. Um, That's hilarious. I I always wonder how that shit gets past like everything. Yeah. Everything. There's really no excuse for it to pass at this point with CGI, but I feel like they were just like, fuck it. How much editorial process must you go through? with this tv and show in particular like how many lines i would imagine a lot like at least seven i would imagine a lot think about it more than seven more than seven because honestly whose job is to get that is like the script supervisor or the director if if not that like the director should have yeah (laughs) carl weathers probably should have got that in editing or something like to be fair he was on a billion times camera most of this episode Oh, for sure. That's why I'm saying like either the like 
script supervisor or assistant director on set should have flagged it. If not then, then in an edit, they should have flagged it because, like, not an hour after the episode dropped, it became viral on Twitter. So, you know, hire those people, I guess, whoever fucking found it. But, no, nah, that, that was just a joke. Aside from that, um, aside from a universe-breaking revelation that, you know, um, I, I really liked the pacing of this. I thought it was very different and interesting pacing. Um, you know, like the scene where Baby Yoda's in school when they bring Baby Yoda into the school. And it was like, yeah, it was a cute scene. It was nice and warm and funny. But then they let you kind of like sit in the school with him. I thought that was surprising. There's there's plenty of those moments where uh, like the scene kind of keeps going when you think like, oh, like they might cut now and move to a different, more important part of the story or something. But, you know, Carl Weathers chose like, no, let's see this encounter of Baby Yoda with a little kid and there is like a bit of tension in me even at that point I'm like this guy like what is baby Yoda gonna do because I'm so on the fence about you know the child is he gonna maliciously try and kill a species of fish again or is he gonna you know be cute or is he I don't yeah, know I don't I know how I, I think I saw a I don't know where he stands on YouTube saying like oh now this week everyone's gonna be upset that he stole a macaroon <laughs> <laughs> that, did that become did that become a point of conflict? It, like, it, people I, actually talk about it. I stay off social media enough to the point where I don't oh, have to man, see I would any really ridiculous mad. shit like that. So yeah. I'd imagine it I still happened though. I thought I thought the ethical discussion over the eggs thing was fair because we actually we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, we too, talked actually. about it, but like we weren't yeah. angry about it. It was just no, no. Funny it was like a, it was a point of yeah, it was a point of com- like conversation there. It's like well, you know that that is that's something. But um no yeah the macaroon thing was just funny I thought it was like it was lighthearted and the only bit it plays is like right into the last like shot like last couple of shots where Mendo flies back into the rescue and you just get the macaroons pop up again like, I, th- I thought that was just it was funny and kind of pointless but like yeah it was cute um yeah and there was there was just a bunch of times where I thought pacing it would like it would it would have its like flow like it's kind of consistent speed and then it would slow down at certain parts or certain parts really lets you sit with the characters and um like that happened i think in like the imperial base also like i was saying it just kind of dies for a second and when they're wandering the hallways yeah you're like what are they looking for what was their mission again Uh, yeah it was to blow up the reactor it was kind of like just a little death star run ish kind of but Story. and that was such a you know like that's such a Star Wars thing at this point like that went over like not over my head but I became numb to that mission like because I think that just other stuff that was going on like you know I think okay for one stormtroopers were treated like absolute shit in this episode yeah just not handled with care at all no <laughs> like I, and I get it it's like a fucking but like come on you have to like eventually push back a little bit yeah right and i, I think just like find it that's funny what they're doing that whenever troopers. they do hit somebody they have best guard yeah. armor on yeah like other than yeah, that there's, there's minimal minimal level of threat yeah with when when there's when there's shots being fired now and i feel like do away with those now because we've established death troopers are a force like of actual threat you know like okay now i'm kind of like my mind's jumping all over the place because now i'm thinking about that last shot of the, the actual last shot of it yeah um you know, and like, what does all that mean? But, uh, yeah, you're right, Cheney. There, I think there needs to be a slow ramp up of threat level, and I think this episode might have been 
in an in indication of that with Moff Gideon kind of coming back and he's wearing like a Darth Vader type of a fucking outfit like he's sort of fanboying hard and yeah I think this might be the start of our our villainy of where where where's the story going um and yeah here's some concerns I have um hmm. let's just uh this was a worry I had about this show and I was hoping and I think I even talked about it in the last episode but I was really hoping that this show wasn't just going to be some type of device to fill in the plot holes that J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson mm. refused to so, even talk about. Oh, I want to get into this. I want to get into so, this. So, so, was your mind running? Was your uh, mind... Uh, let me let me preface what we're about to talk about with a question. Was your mind racing when they arrived into the like that big room and the, um, the guys behind the terminal start firing at the thing then when they get into the room, they, sh- they do a quick shootout. The music suddenly changes. First, it goes like quiet and dark. And then a, a, like a tune comes on. And then you get shots of multiple vats or, or like back to tank type of things, right? With like bodies in them and very disfigured and not clear what it, what you're looking at. Then there's a really specific shot of like a close up on one of the tanks. Oops, just hit my mic. Sorry about that. Um, close up shot moving in on a tank. And the music goes dark. And Mando goes, I got a bad feeling about this. Or I don't like this. Or something like that. Yeah. Was your mind running at that point? I was like... Running down the hall. Come on. Like, I... You're, I you're, think we know where this story is going. You're telling me I think. that Baby Yoda creates the new Emperor who creates Snoke? Like... Is that the line we're gonna follow? I, I the line I followed. I didn't even go that far. Actually, that that sounds ridiculous. The way you just said it. But that's what happens. <laughs> no, no, this is what I'm thinking. I think they're oh, fucked, Cheney. That makes sense because I was thinking they were like in those vats were like they were trying to make Snoke. No, because Palpatine made Snoke. You're right, and it was like the Sith Eternals or whatever that made. Like actually, actually made Snoke in those yeah. tanks, and that was in another planet somewhere else. Yeah, fuck, you might be right. This might be like how they brought Palpatine back or some shit. So, so you're telling me that they take this, this baby child, which may yeah. be a clone of Yoda. Hmm. Maybe. I don't, I don't know about that. Well, I'm just saying. Okay, I, I, I don't I'm think just, he has. I'm just trying to ramp up the ridiculousness of this because it already. Okay. Is. Yeah. Yeah. So right. you're telling me a clone of Yoda gets its blood used it's m count they're too scared of saying metachlorians yeah Yeah, right Um, that was that was ballsy even just to say m count just to refer to the fact of metachlorians yeah but good for them um good for them at least yeah more prequel some acknowledgement eh? yeah some acknowledgement thank you my yeah anyways (laughs) so you're telling me this clone of yoda gets its high metachlorian blood used as a means to clone palpatine so palpatine can retreat into the shadows and make snokes snoke and then snoke can do stuff yeah but like that still doesn't make sense because palpatine's ultimate goal was to get his granddaughter to like merge with him with like dragon ball z style but yeah okay st- episode nine really fucked things up but i like what they're doing here i want to say that real quick i know you're you're calling out it's bullshit and the ridiculousness of the story which completely fair completely fair because episode nine really jumbled the story here but and and this is what I think, Cheney. I think your fear of Mando, the this show Mandalorian, acting as the explanation of what the fuck is 
going on in the universe. I don't think that'll be the case. Here's what I think. I think they're going to set it up here and now that what is the child going to be used for? Oh, it's to resurrect Palpatine, like you said. Um, they might not even say it like that clearly, but, you know, giving you the indication through score. The reason I thought Snoke actually was because the score or like the, the soundtrack that was, yeah, the score, what am I saying? But that was playing in the background of that scene was really sounding like Snoke's score from uh, Force Awakens when he's talking to Kylo Ren. I think I read somewhere um, that it was hologram. Like parts of it was like a slowed down score. it was like a slowed down kind of maybe yeah i mean and even snoke score is just a revised version of the the darth plagueis score from episode three i don't know if you knew that yeah which was jjb where was JJ, that line going yeah that, yeah i think honestly what i think is john williams is the greatest storyteller in the star wars team the greatest he's the consistent factor in all the movies and all the stories yeah hot to- hot take i don't know I mean, not in terms of like, I wouldn't say, uh, I actually don't know because I'll tell like, you, I'll I, tell I'm you why the theory like, that music does tell stories, but yeah, I don't, I'm saying he's the most consistent storyteller in this franchise right now. Yeah. I think you're right on that. I do think you're yeah. right on that. I, I just want to, yeah, give a quick fact, like not fact. Cause I'm not a fucking factician. <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that. Uh, a quick, like interesting fact or whatever. Um, if you listen to Ray's theme in episodes seven eight and nine or whatever and you compare it to palpatine's theme it's just a sped up tempo of palpatine's theme with like a few added lighter moments like few keyed notes are instead of low notes they're high notes so it, it gives a brighter feel to it and it's faster so it's more cheery and peppier but somebody really did a deep dive on like kylo ren's theme and and kylo ren's theme is almost like an imperial march sort of uh, no kind of a remembrance of that but specifically ray and palpatine seem like somebody figured it out like there's a really thick connection like there is something being told here and i know jj wasn't fucking thinking about doing the whole palpatine thing in episode seven and and that she was the granddaughter nothing like that that was purely like the subconscious creativity of john williams connecting dots where he thought dots should be connected you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the story wasn't even going in that direction, but he, his understanding of the characters, his understanding of what that story was going to happen was like, you know, he was already going there. Yeah. So his lack of that's, understanding yeah. anyways, whatever. That's all I want to talk about. Episode nine anyways. But yeah, okay. uh, I, I do think you're right. I think maybe they get this stuff maybe out of the way first because it is kind of important to understand. Um, mm, and like a future show might deal with it, a future movie or something, which would be cool. I think th- this is a, a part of the story that should be explored. Like this is the way I see it. This period is like the prequels to the sequels. You know, we're getting the prequels now of that. Mm. So in a way. Yeah, we are like the prequels to this. Uh, this whole thing is just getting jumbled. If we're saying prequels to the sequels, that's just the prequels to the sequels that are better than the sequels. Hopefully uh, so far. Yeah. It's better Star mm-hmm. Wars content than the sequels because they're keeping it simple. They're keeping it. I wouldn't eh, maybe consistent. I don't know. Certain episodes definitely hit harder than others. Um, mm-hmm. I do think next episode's gonna be great though. I actually do think we're Filoni. Yeah, Filoni's directing the next one. So you know there's gonna be something going on. 
Um, I'm not, I don't want to get in predictions just yet. Um, what I want to talk about, yep. there's one thing I want to talk about in terms of, yep. I already forget her name, that character that I didn't like. Um, uh, yeah, the uh, rebel um, yeah. part of their team, Kara, Kara Dune. Yeah, um, I thought they did a good thing with her because the, the reason why I didn't really like her in the first season was because she was sort of just a non-character. She mm-hmm. was just um, a character designed to be... Kind of a sidekick? Yeah, kind of designed kind of to a, be a like muscle. a, a muscle tough yeah. person, does cool Fill actions. in the squad a little bit. I'm a badass. I can headbot. Um, yeah. A She's a tank. Yeah. She's a tank on camera. Yeah, she is. Um, Formidable. But then they actually like gave her some, some character in this. They gave her a bit of a story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in turn, like right at the end there, when the yeah, the outer rim patroller, the X-wing pilot, um, he fun fact about him that he's a Canadian actor from uh, yeah, the show was, Kim's Convenience. Uh, I was seeing some of that. Yeah, he's like a huge Star Wars fan apparently too. But yeah, um, they had mentioned Alderaan to her before, and um, mm-hmm. it's nice to right. see some conflict in her life because she kind of doesn't stand for what the rebels the are or, or what the new republic is now but right she also feels she f- obligated to fight the empire and there's something going on yeah and she knows you can something. sense that she fights like she fights out of necessity because you know like she lost her world and yeah great great point to highlight like this is another time i think where carl weathers like took a scene and let it flow through to its end and we really sat with the rebel pilot and Kara and had this full-out exchange take place you know at the tail end of another exchange and it's it's yeah it's like gets deep into the like the pain somebody would feel after losing uh their entire world and their family like the line she says like I lost everything everyone or whatever um it's like the first acknowledgement I think in all of Star Wars of Alderaan or somebody from Alderaan that is like the that's why they're fighting is because they lost everything you know I think that's like the first acknowledgement of that and um yeah cool moment cool uh moment that steeps in in um in the old OG of Star Wars yeah so and it, I thought I thought it was cool that he handed her like the the medallion yeah that was um, nice kind of heartwarming it was really shiny for some reason like everything else yeah the fucking ship and him him he's 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 dusty himself but for some reason uh the, the medallion shiny but it's a nice touch I guess. he just keeps it on him just to give to just to give to chicks out there in the galaxy yeah um he's slaying so there, there's some conflict with the character now which i actually enjoy because yeah. guess what i like my characters to have character traits um mm-hmm. there's got to be some... how do you feel on mando Mando? Mando? Yeah, is... how do you feel like he's developing? I, I've got some thoughts on it too. He is slowly becoming more of a father figure. He's... Yeah. Um, the whole first season was him sort of doing the typical the hero's journey in terms of the reluctant hero where... Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's sort of this mythos behind... He's not the quote-unquote good guy, yeah, but he's, he's somewhere in the middle of it's it. It's the mythos behind a guy... Um, avoiding responsibilities at all costs until at one point he needs to make the decision to be a man and take on the responsibility and do the right thing and bear the cross Mm -hmm. up the hill 
like the, yeah so um with that the only real way for him to go is to sort of further that father figure um, outlook on life where he's taken in a foundling into his own creed and i think he's doing a pretty decent job like he's he's just like a like the like a typical cowboy protagonist you're just kind of along the archetypical lone ranger yeah essentially which is fine um i don't think he's like a particular but he has a it's not even that he's super archetypical at this point is because he has the child with him along every adventure so that dynamic is new in itself right yeah slightly you kind of get um lone ranger and what's his sidekick's name choncho yeah is it? Is it? I just I not I just said that, bro. No, it's it's fucking um it's the it's the native native guy. Yeah, it's the native it's guy. His, uh, I forget his name. I want to figure this out cuz I just called it Choncho and I, yeah, I don't think that's the name. No, it's <laughs> the fact that I believed you was just bad. It's Army Hammer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, bro, don't <laughs> My credibility is slowly getting diminished from the show now. But I'm finding it out for you. It's uh it is slowly pulling up the results. Goodness. Oh, fuck me. His name is Tonto. Tonto. Yeah. Not Choncho. That's Tonto. What, okay. So I was on something. You're on You're on the right track. Tonto. Yeah. Anyways, I, I do think like the silent protagonist with like the sidekick is still pretty stereotypical. Um, yeah, but like, I don't think what Mando is, I don't think he's meant to be anything more like, I'm pretty sure this is exactly what, what he was supposed to be from the beginning, a Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. type. We knew that going in. Yeah. So. Archetypical, like not much deeper, like we're not getting too deep and that's fine. I, I'm, I'm comp- couldn't agree with you more. I think he is like perfectly archetypical and like, that's what he is designed for. I think, you know, um, I do, I do like agree with you. Also, I like how they're exploring the fatherly relationship more. Like, he really is like you know taking care of the child, and like also his his motivations are becoming, or not motivations, I should say his his wanting to help people is st- is starting to become his greatest flaw, which I like. Yeah, he's he is wanting to help people just because he's actually formed relationships now, which is a big deal. Because yes. before he'd just do it yeah. for other credits, and then he would only do yep. it if it helped yep. further. Um, yeah, exactly. His his goal of of delivering the child, but now he's actually you know because he's forged relationships with people, he will. Yeah, this is help like the someone. first mission. Yeah, like where he there was no money involved, but it was like the better good of something for the greater good of something, and like this. I thought it was a really subtle way of like pointing to his character and how it's how it is changing a little bit, but very subtle, but um, noticeable kind of. And and yeah, it's getting him progressively into more danger. Um, I I'm curious to see where they go with that as this season progresses. Yeah, and um, yeah, that'd be interesting. It's, it's good that you pointed out that like this was the first time. Like and yeah, he still did it for like re- repair credits on his ship or whatever, but this was like the first time like he he generally meant it as like a favor to as a friend thing even like their interaction in in the beginning when they you know when he steps off the ship it was like a very like friends getting together after it's been a while it's been a minute you know 
and they're all they're all embracing each other. They're all like, ah, oh, it's look at you running a planet and look at you being a father. It looks oh, so great. Here's a problem Such I did have with the episode though. Like, how long mm. has it been? How did Navarro? I was wondering that too. Go from like a completely decimated yeah. town due to imperial enforcement to like a thriving market that's like they put a different lens on the camera bro yeah yeah completely it's it's um, crazy uh, i don't know i don't think they've they've given any indication of time it, it would have to be a long time if there's like there's kids now i would think so and, like this yeah, was a bounty I, and there's a school town. there's a, yeah yeah this was this was yeah this was the town where all the mandos got shot up and um there was the whole the whole fight that was going on with the mandalorians and that's so interesting. It's like, yeah, how do they, how did they, re like turn a planet inside and out like that, and how long did that take? Right. And I don't think it was just the planet because I think they indicated that she cleaned up the system, and I think by system that's like a star system, you know, like yeah. maybe multiple planets or something. How did and they were talking about how this that? might be, yeah, like this that they want this to be this one of the central planets of a trade route, something like that for the outer rim. That is, I, the outer rim. Yeah, yeah. So. Good question. I don't know how long this timeline is. I can't imagine it's been like a year though. Like, you know, a year of Baby Yoda and Mando just traveling together. Like, I, I, I want to say it's been a couple months, but that seems short too. Yeah, you know? it's really tough. It was a really bold. Like, I felt like they should have just been like. Instead, here's of- what I'm starting to think now. What if time really has no relevancy in the universe of Star Wars? Because, you know, it's Star Wars, and they're in a galaxy and different planets in relation to where they are in the sun might progress with time differently than you know what i'm trying this to say isn't a like, sci-fi franchise we both know it's a i'm just trying to franchise. think i know i'm just trying to think within the physics of the universe this might be coverable what if navarro is like the planet from interstellar where time progresses um you keep bending your every back hour to explain these plot holes and i'm gonna every get, hour <laughs> let me let me let me get through it it might make sense to some people out there and they might be like yeah you know what time is not a concept watches interstellar facts. once it's yeah <laughs> yeah exactly watch the interstellar Ooh. once and it's suddenly I now understand like time is real man time works <laughs> yeah i mean okay real quick on interstellar though like what a visualization of time and like a black hole <laughs> i'm just talking abstract things here but like what a visualization of those kind of things. What a way to tell people, like, this is what happens when you cross into a fifth or sixth dimension. And the most scientific, like, accurate, I, the most scientifically accurate model of a black hole ever created. Yeah. I mean, it went, like, as a movie, it contributed to real science, right? Like, yeah, they there got was physicists. papers written about that black hole. Yeah. There was Nobel Prizes won after that. Like, what? No, there wasn't. Kip Thorne, he won a, he won a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Nobel Prize? Google it. All right, I will. Not right now, though. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is this isn't a physics podcast. Yeah. Yay. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, we're back to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just hoping that they don't like try to expand things too quickly. You know what I mean? Like, I feel you. Like keep establishing the relationships and 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 yeah, we can have like reoccurring characters and like go back to locations and have, you know reoccurring characters like i'd like to see him go back to that swampy planet and see the lizard lady again but with this time mm-hmm. with kids later on um mm-hmm. it would have been cool to see them in the process of rebuilding that planet like what does that look like yeah what did they have to do to like i don't i guess I don't we saw why they had to go from out a bar but completely like desolate and horrible yeah, to, to like instantly thriving. like the, town of the year they could have easily done some in between yeah yeah, or they or like the episode takes place while they're in the in between. 
yeah like they're in the middle of like yeah then now life is coming in but you can still see the war like the battle wounds of of like past battles but past conflicts and whatever um maybe there's like some stormtrooper skulls or heads still still out there kicking i don't know uh i i want to see more of that too i feel like i feel like the next star wars story i want to see like almost as weird as it sounds like i love the galaxy hopping thing but i want to see a really like contained story that might be like set over a few weeks set over a few months over one situation over a couple connected situations but almost like a serialized like uh just following like a community or following one person in that community kind of a star wars story you know like kind of like what we're talking about here like what was the story of kara turning this planet around like i find that interesting in in the galaxy of star wars you know that um, might i guess work. kenobi might Kenobi's kenobi might be something like similar yeah uh, yeah um that that makes me excited about kenobi it's like it'll be a really you know back to your favorite planet just set in tatooine the whole time at but least, like what are what, what at least it'll what have are we Obi-Wan. gonna find out new at least it'll have obi-wan um, at least it'll have and ewan mcgregor the boy is yeah, back our boy i can't believe he's back bro i hope they embrace he's, he's the doing meme. it which one all of them <laughs> literally yeah, like all every of them. line there's a line in every movie that's just like hitting on a meme literally all of them. <laughs> the first line he says in the show is hello there yes literally and then i'm it's my favorite show ever it doesn't yeah. need to do anything else i don't care you don't even need to watch the rest of the show no yeah. i don't i would i would just finish and i would go to bed and then he would finish again <laughs> yeah there's the dick joke for the week um, there it is <laughs> yeah uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a couple stories I'd like to see. I don't know if I'd like to see something as contained. I think Star Wars sort of benefits from epicness um, and scale. Yeah. So I think I told you this, but I want like a Saving Private Ryan, but Clone Wars. That would be sick. I don't think we'll that, forget the, it, though. That, that would be a perfect time to do is do one of those. You'd have to... Even in an animated form, that would be really cool. Yeah. like um, I'm sure there's like a Clone Wars animated series, kind of a... Um, couple of episodes that are like of that nature you know what i mean yeah um, i was more thinking there is now that i think about it there in in the last season there was um an episode where they had to save f- was it fives i don't think it was fives it was uh, it was one of the clones who was um getting his mind all fucked with remember that in the last season uh and it was like the first three episodes the first arc of that season was them having to with the bad batch they were trying to locate him and find him like that was a bit private ryany i think a little bit but i was thinking like more live action intimate like in the live desert action, or, yeah in, on geonosis right 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 like like stranded on a planet that they don't know shit all about and they have to rescue this guy like and i was thinking the threat of the planet um like, i yeah that would be cool to see like how a star wars story where the planet is like a formidable force in itself i was thinking like the main character could be a padawan that just lost his master in the heat of that's war, interesting. and he has to sort of lead yeah. a group of clone troopers out of like the caverns of Geonosis without getting eaten by bug people. Ooh, and the ending is like right when Order sixty nine happens. Order sixty nine, I mean Order sixty six. No, no, it happened. <laughs> this would be like the first battle of Geonosis. No, no, I know. I'm just saying, like, how cool would it be? Is like the movie ends on as soon as Order sixty six starts, and you're like, does this Padawan survive? But it it ends right there. You have no idea. No. If he survives. Yeah. No, it's just, there's oh man, there's so much to talk like explore in terms a lot of, of potential. Uh, is there anything else in the episode that we want to sort of mention? Um, I really like the opening 
the comedic bit between Mando and Baby Yoda. I thought that was funny. Yeah, it was really good. And just just to point out real quick to the like level of craftsmanship and detail with the practicals, right? Like how believable it is that like he's communicating like he's talking to a puppet in, in a shaft. Um, like not once am I thinking like this is a puppet. Like even when like you know, there's a little electrical explosion, whatever, and the smoke starts filling the room and the the child coughs, right? And then the air is like suddenly affected in the room like there's the smoke in the air is affected like like that level of detail is like oh i love that so much it makes it everything feel all the more real all the more like kind of everything is interacting with each other like there's no cgi element like you know like they had real people working on those on those effects um yeah like great great pacing in that scene just great dialogue all around like all that yes it kind of reminded me of like baby Groot and and rocket oh yeah bomb scene yeah just with less anger but like same vibes same vibes similar yeah i guess like i i don't know if that's like a movie trope like i good comparison but that's exactly i think where it's kind of coming from and it's it's just like mando's kind of patience with the child like he's taking his time trying to explain it and the child has like keeps looking at the both the wires over and over again like yeah i thought that was cute i thought it was really funny and yeah like this this episode was kind of for me like a really hard to describe episode really like hard to pinpoint where i'm landing because it had the things i liked about it were the quiet moments were the one was like the revelation i think i I think I'm um contrast to your opinion about it. I liked the revelation or or potential revelation of Palpatine or Snoke or we don't know yet, but that th- this is the deeper story. Like finally, like you know, we're learning about a deeper story here. We're learning about what the Empire's plans are. Why is there still an Empire? What the fuck is going on in the galaxy? Who is the child? We're starting to learn. So you know, after a season and a half to reach that point, I, I'm satisfied and. My, my all-time favorite bits of this episode were, like I said, the quiet bits, quiet moments that were really, like, just kind of sitting in the scene and listening to characters talk and uh, how relationships are kind of, um, characters are also kind of further explored, stuff like that. So, it, this episode felt quiet. Like, I know you were saying the action was, like, some of your favorite, which I would agree with you. Like, I was in the beginning looking at it through a smaller scope of that just that hallway but yeah good variety of action um and all around i think just a well-rounded episode in that way what do you think it was a well-rounded episode i think is the best way to put it it was just like a kind of a whimsical adventure episode like another filler episode in a way um yeah just like like we said what would happen like he's obviously gonna make yeah, a pit yeah. stop and it just so happened to be and we even predicted the mechanic playing a part in it too yeah well Funny even enough. more of a part because that's the imperial spy right um, yeah that's jesus yeah hire us yeah hire us disney um the, the only issue i have because I, I this is just me in general like i didn't want mando to touch any of the mainline movies like yeah just stay yeah. away from them all please um but I understand that that maybe you need to start explaining some stuff. But like, I, I'm more interested in in these characters as a contained story. But it seems like hmm. this contained story is now part of the mainline movies, or it's spilling a bit. Yeah, it's, it's spilling over a bit. a bit. So maybe yeah. maybe with Filoni because he's this Clone Wars guy, and we're getting Ahsoka probably next episode. 
um yeah we're gonna sort of get back to like the edge of the universe like not the mainline story just just characters that sort of are weave in and out of it in a way maybe mando will be like that too mm-hmm. um but overall i think so eh? i i've i've heard that like like I've heard people think the same thing or feel the same thing about it, that Mando might not be the constant Mando of this show, you know? He not, he might not remain the central focus. Like, this kind of um, timeline might continue, but our focus might change. So Potentially. I don't think that would happen. Like, I, I, it, the show is called The Mandalorian, and he's on all the cover art and everything, so yeah, it'd true. be kind of weird for them to do that really weird i could see them doing like one-off episodes where he's not in it um eventually yeah if, if it's yeah. eventually like again you need to keep laying the groundwork and establishing characters and right um, which they're doing in this season right like we were hinted at boba fett still haven't seen shit of him yet but yeah you know where that's another thing where is boba fett tying into this story um, what is yeah so yeah it'd be interesting to to see like i just want them to keep like going back to older characters every once in a while and eventually with enough time you could do spin-off episodes with just them um for sure this kind of was that for a long period of time you didn't even see mando um yeah yeah so that was a little odd but i, I kind of liked it in a way um i knew what was going to happen like he was going to come in at the last second and save everyone which is what i think is going to happen in the next episode too but ahsoka is going to come in and save that's sort of my prediction is that he's going to get to the planet um looking for her yeah looking for her moff gideon is that's his name right did i get yeah. that right yeah now he's tracking yeah him, now he's tracking, tracking. yeah moff gideon moff gideon is going to show up he's going to start hunting with the death troopers man is going to get pinned and then ahsoka is going to come and kill all the death troopers and yeah so do you think ahsoka is going to make a last second appearance slash save at the episode or will she be more integral to it will she be like a Boba Fett kind of in the end of episode one. Like, I feel like she's going to make a last fuck. second save and then it's going to be a cliffhanger until then we have to wait another week until we actually hear her talk. Yeah. So God, I would, I would not like that. You wouldn't like that. Just get into it. I don't want a cliffhanger anymore, man. I don't like waiting a week to get. Resolu- How many episodes do we have left? Three. No, four. That was episode four. So I think four more. Okay. That would make sense yeah. then cliffhanger. And then, it would. I think. I think the way you said it is most likely exactly how it would happen, where like the last the word isn't even said yet, like on some Luke Skywalker shit. Yeah, I've been but, I've been very wrong before, Sid, about this entire series. So I don't know. On this season, me and you have a little bit of a track record, my friend. So true, a little bit, know. slightly. I think. I think that's about right, though. Yeah, Every, everything's I, I think set we up can to be for like sure. That. Expect. Yeah, it's set up to be like that. We can for sure expect Ahsoka. We can probably expect a confrontation between Mando and Gideon, or at least some Death Troopers or, or some kind of a conflict there. Um, and I, I, I think I would agree with you. I think we can see like a last second save or something like that. I just hope it's not a cliche cliffhanger. Like, let's get past it, guys. Like, let's do a middle <laughs> save, like a middle, ep- middle of the episode kind of a save, and we're like, hey, Ahsoka, like, what's up? You know. What are you doing? What, what's going on with you? What's new? That's like, not gonna one of those kind of recaps. You know they just play. Uh, they just play. You know, what's a card game in Star Wars? Uh, oh, Pazak. Pazak, yeah, Pazak. Whatever. They're just playing that in a in a cantina somewhere, and they're just chatting. You know, just to sit down, maybe smoking some death sticks. Who knows? Life short. <laughs> you want to go care. home and rethink your life. Yeah, 
I I actually really would like to see the return of Death Sticks into this show or like into the Star yeah. Wars thing, like say Honestly, in a reference just, or something. Yeah, give me give me a Death Sticks reference. Yeah, a Death Sticks or a Death Sticks dealer, and like have an episode centered around him. Like that would be like, yeah, that'd be funny. That would be funny. <laughs> that'd be cool. All right, that's about it for me though in terms of predictions. I don't know if you have any predictions for next episode. Yeah, not not too much. I'm I've learned to uh, tame my expectations. True. From Star Wars in general True. now, but uh, especially with this show, I think it's smart to go into it thinking, you know, because episodes are shortened enough anyways, which I never feel as a problem. You know, like the shorter the episodes are getting shorter and shorter as the series is progressing. But I, I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling like oh, this is a 30 minute episode because structurally it doesn't feel like 30 minutes. It feels like a well kind of three arc. Like the it it's each um, each arc is handled. Uh, kind of well and like well balanced or whatever so the time is not as much of a like noticeable problem for me but i think because they have this like restriction of time like no episode is going currently over an hour like we don't we we can always expect a similar structure where it's lands on a new planet given like you know he's there's an obstacle in front of his goal and he has to complete a mission for that so you know, until we're subverted of that genre kind of trope, I'm going to reserve my expectations. True. All right. Well, that sort of does it, I guess, for this review and discussion of Mandalorian season two, episode four. Um, and with that, make sure to rate this podcast, please. And thank you on whatever you're listening to, whether that's Spotify, Apple podcasts or Google play, and make sure to follow us on Instagram at Mythic Morons. We post episode clips there. We ask questions on our stories. We just generally like to use it as a means to communicate with the fan base, um, all 14 of you. Um, and also follow us on YouTube at Mythic Morons, slowly adding the, 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 the uh, full catalog of our episodes there with timestamps too. So make sure to keep up with that. And with that... I think I nailed it. Um, this is Cheney signing off. Yes, sir. And we will uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Same usual place. Try and be at the, you know, we've, our, our, our posting schedule is somewhat inconsistent. We're like our Mondays or Wednesdays or Tuesdays. Just know we're consistent on a weekly basis. There's always a Mythic Morons episode up, whether it's a minimum one episode, you know, like this will probably be one episode. So expect it. I guess I'm recording this live and I'm talking to nobody. So when you're, when you're hearing this, you're hearing this, but, um, we post every week, uh, trying to, trying to consistently on Mondays. But if we have two episodes Monday and Wednesday, you can look forward to that. Um, and yeah, with that, we're going to sign off and leave you to it. Cheers.